0: Hi there, and a very warm welcome to season four, episode thirteen of People Soup. It's Ross McIntosh here. Peace Soupers, I've been editing away here at People Soup Towers in Malaga. Or as we say here in Malaga, La Torre de People Soup, and this chat with Dr. Duncan Gillard was recorded way back in July 2021. Duncan was joined by his pal and friend of the show, Hoop Dog, also known as Dr. Nick Hooper, and we had a good old chat.
1: And I think you're absolutely right. I think hard work is incredibly important. And I think that does mean being willing to experience some tricky stuff along the way, willing to experience a degree of stress and a degree of worry and a sense of uncertainty. And I I think that is important, really, really important, not just important, essential. But I think what's also equally as essential is this idea of just find your, I don't know, I want to kind of call it passion, if you like, find the thing that makes your heart sing the most. And I don't think that's a linear process. I think that's like an iterative process. Like we don't just decide what our passion is and go, right, well, I'm gonna go do my passion. We did that's just not the way we work. Passion builds in the doing. So you think you're interested in something, you try it out. Maybe it sticks, maybe it doesn't. It takes you down another sort of maybe hopefully similar trajectory. And then, as you act in the world, your passion for it builds and builds and builds and builds. And I think there's something in this work, not just about working hard, because working hard has to get reinforcement, as in it has to feel meaningful for us. It has to feel that it connects with a sense of purpose. So, finding that passion, finding what makes your heart sing, and chasing that stuff relentlessly and be willing to have the hard work that comes along with it, that matters. <laughs>
0: people soup is an award-winning podcast where we share evidence-based behavioral science in a way that's practical accessible and fun to nourish your mind to flourish at work We cover so much more in the chat from Duncan's career history, his travels around Europe and India, and his interest in philosophy and spiritual disciplines. We also talk about his move into educational psychology and his passion and geekery for contextual behavioural science and relational frame theory. We finish off with Duncan's song selection, which I was unable to have a go at singing as I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. Let's take a quick scoot over to the news desk. In our last episode, I reflected on the content that my anxious mind had been generating over our move to Spain. And it resonated with several peacekeepers. Friend of the show, Chris Winson, said on Twitter, And he's back with an example of Olympic gold standard level of worrying. Thanks for sharing, Ross. It was like listening to my mind. And nice insights into your work with Annie, too. And that gives me a beautiful segue. Speaking of my work alongside Annie Gascoigne, if you'd like to throw your festive hat in the ring... Fill out a form via the link in the show notes to have a chance of winning a free place on Module 3 or 4 of our Flexibility at Work program. Or you can find the form directly at bookwen.com slash flexibility at work. And finally, some breaking news. Get yourself over to the website connect-ed.world. That's connect-ed.world. Duncan, Nick and a group of extraordinary pioneers have launched a whole school approach to well-being. As the landing page says, We imagine a future in which schools enable their communities, children, staff and parents to explore and connect with personal values and to develop the psychological skills to live their best lives. Boom! This is an incredible development. Congratulations to the team. I'm so proud and humbled to be involved too. So go and check it out and spread the word, folks. That's connect-ed.world. But for now, get a brew on and have a listen to my chat with Duncan Gillard and Hoop Dog. So, P-Supers, I am delighted to be joined by Dr. Duncan Gillard and Dr. Nick Hooper. And they're here to talk about Connect, P-S-H-E. But more about that later because, first of all, I need to say welcome, chaps. Great to see you both.
2: Thanks. Great to be here. Yep, lovely to be here. I feel like I'm hogging people soup at the moment. And so I'm going to try and talk as little as possible, Ross.
0: I don't think that's a possibility, Nick, to be honest. (laughs) No, no, it's probably not. It's probably not. Now, as Nick (laughs) says, Hoop Dog is a regular P-super. But Duncan is a bit of a, a new boy on the people soup block. So what I thought we'd do is start by checking out Duncan a bit. So Duncan, I've got my research department onto you and they've been delving into who is the man behind the face and that sort of shizzle. So I've got some outcomes from my research department, which I'm going to share with you now.
1: I'm fascinated to hear.
0: (laughs) I'm glad you used the word fascinated and not sort of terrified.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There's a bit of that in there too, probably.
0: It says here, Dr. Duncan Gillard is a registered senior educational psychologist and a highly experienced ACT and DNAV practitioner and trainer. He's an author too, this dude. He's the co-author of the popular self-help book, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, brackets ACT, for dummies, and also the author of several peer-reviewed articles on the subjects of ACT and contextual behavioural science. How are we doing so far? That sounds pretty legendary to me. (laughs) Um, it's not too painful so far.
1: Yeah, no. I'm okay. It's all good. Carry on.
0: Excellent. Okay. So what does this man do? Well, Duncan's work focuses on whole school and targeted interventions to promote and improve children's well being and resilience, as well as on the delivery of group and individually based act coaching interventions to support teachers' well being and valued living. Blimey. That sounds pretty comprehensive for a school environment, mate.
1: Yeah, that's the hope. The hope is, yeah, we, we, we have so many different things within CBS that we can offer in educational settings these days. And
0: the hope is that we can offer
1: as much of it as possible. So, yeah, absolutely.
0: And there's a bit more from my research department. Well, there's a bit, a bit from me first, just reflecting on my connection with you, Duncan. I'm really proud to have worked alongside you and some of your colleagues too on a number of projects relating to teacher wellbeing. And more recently, Quite innovative for Bristol City Council, I think, parent well-being as well. And for me, you are an inspiration. You are a unique person with the vision, energy, flexibility and tenacity to deliver innovative change and ambitious change at that. And there's one more thing they've come up with my research department. And this relates to you and Nick. I've also heard that you and Nick Hooper have made it. You've both achieved the ultimate accolade in your professional field because there's a new initiative at the ACBS called Calendar Boys. And we've been told that you, Duncan, will be a simmering Mr. April and you, Nick, will be a coquettish Mr. August. So many, many congratulations to you both on this professional accolade. I'm so delighted for you. And I can't wait to see the calendar.
2: Uh, Neither can I. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. Well, so, are the pictures gonna be taken by someone else, or are they, or is someone just hiding in the bushes taking pictures yeah. of us for this? Like, how is this? How is this yeah, gonna right. work? I mean, I'm excited. I want to be involved. I'm. I'm. I'm a yes. I. I'd like some more details of what is going to be happening with it but made, I've made it if I make it to the ACBS calendar I've made it
0: mm. well yeah i can tell you that the, the photographer is quite world renowned spanish photographer called manel ortega and he'll be he'll be doing these, these tasteful shoots and you can wear as much or as little as you like boys wonderful <laughs> Excellent. I
1: think I'm looking forward to it, slash slightly petrified, especially the idea of somebody hiding in a bush. Like, maybe that's already happened. Oh, my God. Really?
0: (laughs) I don't don't know why Nick's mind went to hiding in bushes. I'm not really sure about that. (laughs) But hey-ho. Hey-ho. so Duncan, we've had a little glimpse into your career there, but I wonder if you wouldn't mind telling us a bit more. Expand on the evolution of your career a bit, maybe some significant moments for you.
1: Sure, yeah. So I I was very fortunate, I suppose, in my late teens and early 20s to have the opportunity to go off traveling for what was supposed to be six months and turned out to be four years. And the reason it was four years and not six months is because I I, kind of got really vexed with the practice and study of yoga and mindfulness and those kinds of things. And so six months into kind of traveling around kind of Western Europe and uh, a little bit of North Africa, I stumbled upon a couple of people who really inspired me to the practice of yoga and mindfulness. And um, I was like, that's it, right, okay, I'm off to India, got to find out some more about this stuff. And four years later, kind of came back still equally as kind of passionate about, interested in and kind of practicing these things and the mindfulness piece kind of never went away but I came so I came back to England to study psychology which I put off at, at kind of undergraduate level at that time and I kind of put that off for one year then another year then another year then another year and finally it was like well if I don't do it now maybe I'm never going to do it so so I kind of came back so my kind of entry into academic psychology at degree level was a point in time where I already had a real fascination for interest in an active practice around kind of spiritual disciplines and an interest in philosophy as well, philosophy of mind in particular. And I did the undergraduate degree and I was really still interested in mindfulness and also kind of philosophy of mind. So I did a, a master's degree in consciousness and transpersonal psychology and still kind of chasing, I suppose, in a way answers to ontological questions around you know the kind of the the relationship between mind and matter and what's the nature of self what does it mean to be a person these things these questions were really kind of fascinating me and it really wasn't until I decided to sidestep rather than go to go off into a PhD but to sort of sidestep into applied psychology that I'd stumbled upon well act but more fundamentally functional contextualism the kind of philosophical underpinnings of our CBS work and it just you know, completely out of the blue. It helped me to understand the world, my condition, my relationship to it in a completely different way. It helped me to, I almost don't want to say, answer the questions I'd been asking but it helped me to ask the right questions or questions that were more workable possibly. Questions that were a bit more about workability and a bit more about truth is in what's useful rather than truth being some kind of ontological truth we can chase down and and ascertain in some way. And that was it really. I've been been hooked on the world of contextual behavioural science ever since and moved into doing a, a doctoral degree in educational psychology which at the time really was relatively light in terms of the presence of contextual behavioural science work within it. But over the kind of nine years since I did my doctorate, we've been fortunate to see that really, really change in the UK. And I think we've been a we've been a significant part of that. There's a lot of CBS within educational psychology in the UK today, I'd like to think.
0: And particularly in in your service, I think, Duncan. I think as I say, you've been you've been championing that and driving it forward.
1: I think I think there's some truth in that. Yeah, I kind of want to not overshoot here, but I mean, it's certainly, you know, very much run through my veins with Nick, but, you know, also very much with yourself, Ross, over the last five years, we've been doing all kinds of work around trying to get CBS-based models and CBS-based interventions and technologies into the bloodstream of school communities, including work to support teacher wellbeing using ACT-based interventions, more recently pro-social work to kind of hit those group processes within educational settings. The more intensive targeted and kind of specialist work with young people who are particularly struggling. And and of course, we can talk about that quite a lot today, I think Connect, which is designed to do something different and be much more universally applicable and Mm. preventative.
0: Thank you so much for, for talking about the sort of evolution of your career, because I think it's really important that people out there hear that because it it's not linear. And I think it sounds like you're a kind of curious explorer. You were really open to just pausing and thinking what was interesting for you and and which direction you wanted to go in. Because I think often, particularly when we're younger, we kind of consider a a kind of linear career. Like I go to university, I do a master's, maybe I do a PhD, and then I do this career. And we're deciding right at the beginning of that process what we're going to do. But I think I love hearing your more fluid evolution.
2: It's not just that, Ross. I'm going to jump in here. It's not just a linear path to a career. It's a linear path to success. So when people look at someone like Duncan, for example, they see the outcome. They see the Duncan in the present moment, but they don't necessarily see the journey that led Duncan to be in the position that he is now. And that isn't a linear journey. It's not a straightforward, I'll do this, 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 and this, and then I'll I'll have success. It was a meandering journey. And so to describe Duncan as an explorer, I think is a really lovely way to illustrate that success isn't a straightforward path you know a contribution and a trying to change the world these are things that take time and you've got to figure things out along the way and I think that was is what's so lovely about Duncan's journey and basically every other successful person's journey that I've ever met no one was ever destined for success they, they just bounced around in the world and ended up at a certain place
0: mm, I, I love that and a lot of bloody hard work as well often <laughs> often we imagine that um, it just happens by magic or or Luck and there there may be a degree of luck and noticing the right opportunity and getting imaginative about opportunities, but there's also a lot of hard work there. Absolutely, I think
2: that hard work is so important, and it's the major thing that I see that is similar across all of the successful people. It is the 5 a.m.s and it is the 10 p.m.s, it is the drive to make change that makes people put in the hard works,
1: yeah. And I think you're absolutely right. I think hard work is incredibly important. And I think that does mean being willing to experience some tricky stuff along the way, willing to experience a degree of stress and a degree of worry and a sense of uncertainty. And I I think that is important, really, really important, not just important, essential. But I think what's also equally as essential is this idea of just find your, I don't know, I want to kind of call it passion, if you like. Find the thing that makes your heart sing the most. And I don't think that's a linear process. I think that's like an iterative process. Like, we don't just decide what our passion is and go, right, I'm going to go do my passion. That's just not the way we work. Passion builds in the doing. So you think you're interested in something, you try it out. Maybe it sticks, maybe it doesn't. It takes you down another sort of maybe, hopefully, similar trajectory. And then as you act in the world, your passion for it builds and builds and builds and builds. And I think there's something in this work, not just about working hard, because working hard has to get reinforcement, as in it has to feel meaningful for us. It has to feel that it connects with a sense of purpose. So finding that passion, finding what makes your heart sing and chasing that stuff relentlessly and be willing to have the hard work that comes along with it, that matters.
0: Sure thing. Absolutely. And could you tell us a bit more, Duncan, about your passion? How did you take that fork in the road to go towards education?
1: So I sidestepped out of an academic career to applied psychology and just kind of fell into the very, very capable hands of uh, a dear friend of Nick and mine, Freddie Jackson Brown, who is also an owner of very, very, intimately connected to the connect program we're going to talk about and he really kind of nurtured my skills as a behavioral science practitioner and I think what I saw for the first time in doing that work which just for clarity was actually applying mostly kind of Skinnerian principles with children with learning disabilities but We also built on some of that work and started integrating not so much kind of act as a practice model, but RFT processes. So we were trying to train things like mutual entailment and combinatorial entailment in the kind of skills repertoires of children with learning disabilities at points in that work as well. And, you know, it was just the most breathtaking and transformative time to realize, oh my God, you can do psychology that transforms lives. And I really don't think I connected, that was back in 2006, I really don't think I connected with that until that point. So my journey into ACT was really not like many people's journey into ACT. I didn't come at it through a therapeutic or a practice angle, not therapy in a classically understood sense of the word anyway. I came at it because I was a bit of a geek and the theory just blew my mind RFT, I'm still learning about it today. It's a lifelong journey and it's breathtaking. It never stops fascinating me. And the philosophical underpinning, like functional contextualism, being a bit of a geek and just being kind of quite curious, certainly since my teens, I noticed that curiosity really starting to emerge in relation to psychology and philosophy. So that's a long-standing thing. Having a sense of, which I'd never had before, the coherence between philosophy as an underpinning, not just as a professional, but as a human being. Like you can't be a functional contextualist in your work and go, well, I'm going home now, I'm not going to be a functional contextualist anymore. It just gets inside your bloodstream. And that's who... I became really as a result of being exposed to that, that and then a whole, you know, increasingly large host of practice frameworks, ACT and the hexaflex being still the best known, built on that theory. It was like the coherence was just magical. It was just wonderful.
0: What I love listening to you talk, Duncan, is you have this vision to see you you get inspired by the roots of, of ACT and then you are developing that vision of how this could impact in the real world. And that really shines out of you when you talk about it, how it could impact for the children in the school, the teachers, the wider school population, including the parents.
1: Yeah, and you know, I I don't know if, if there's anything, I'm sure you'd have so much to say about this, Nick, as well. I'll kind of get us started. Like, that's the wonderful thing about relational frame theory. It wasn't intended to describe some perceived deficit in the human condition. It it describes and, and helps us to understand how to usefully intervene in terms of language, cognition, and even affect too. You know, people often talk about RFT as being a theory of language and cognition, but there's affect in there as well. You know, you look at the recent advances in RFT, like the role model, and you know, this is not necessarily entirely new stuff, but we talk about the evoking process within the role model, like relationally framing has an affective component too. Like when we relate, it evokes particular emotional responses for us. And if we, in an excessive way, avoid those emotional processes, life gets smaller. But if, when it's useful to do so, we can turn towards some of those less appetitive emotional processes, like the anxiety that shows up, the worry that shows up, the self-doubting process that shows up, then life gets bigger and we can become hopefully closer to the people we might dream of becoming.
2: I think that you're absolutely right, Ross, about Duncan and the way that CBS is in his bloodstream. I love that he's so inspired by functional contextualism and relational frame theory, but I love that that always results in meaningful, concrete and tangible things out there in the real world. A while ago, Freddie sent me a quote. That's Freddie Jackson Brown, who Duncan's already mentioned. And it said this, all men dream, but not equally. Those who dream by night in the dusty recesses of their minds wake up in the day to find it was vanity, but the dreamers of the day are dangerous men, for they may act their dreams with open eyes to make it possible. And it was a a quote by T.E. Lawrence. And I look at Duncan sometimes and I'm reminded of that quote, because to chase things and to act and to make things happen in the world, that's a vulnerable place to be, right? Because there's a very real chance of failure. So you need acceptance. You need to, to have the willingness to experience failure in order to be able to make things happen. And then once you've got that, you need to commit. And commitment is essentially hard work. It is the 5 a.m.s and the, and the 10 p.m.s. And so you look at like, the, the skills of highly successful people. I think you've got acceptance and I think you've got commitment. I think you've got those two things. And I think that Duncan has those two things, which is why when you look at some of the things that are going on in Bristol that are based on contextual behavioral science, these are things that actually change in people's lives. And so I wanted to say that about Duncan, because I think it's important for people to hear it, to hear of the things that I think
0: are predictors of success. Lovely. Thank you so much, Nick. And absolutely agree. And just one caveat, I think, from me for what you said, Nick, is this 5 a.m. and 10 p.m. We're not looking to glorify Working Every Hour God Sends on the People Soup podcast. (laughs) It's important for me to say that. And when we're pursuing something that has this importance for us, it may involve early starts and late finishes. And also it will involve downtime to recharge and recuperate and have some leisure time recovery and time with interests outside of work as well.
2: Absolutely. I mean, people that i see within the cbs community they're so impassioned by the approach and the impact that that it can have that it tends to lead to to long working hours and you don't want to be doing that at the expense of self-care at the expense of relaxation and family time and and whatnot i was speaking to freddie about this a, a while back when i was slightly worried about the hours that i was doing and he was reading an article about rft on a sunday and I was like, Freddie, you've got to not be working on a Sunday. And he said to me, Nick, this isn't work. Like, I love this stuff. <laughs> so in his mind, he, he didn't see the work that he was doing as actual work. And maybe that's the reason why people are doing long hours from the CBS community is because they really love what it is and they don't view it as, uh, as work and you're absolutely right. It cannot take over life.
0: You make a really good point there. It's the function of what we're doing, isn't it? If, mm. if we are getting immense joy and energy and stimulation from reading an RFT article on a Sunday, then hats off. But go out for a walk later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Duncan, I like to ask my guests if you could have a song that introduces you to a virtual room or a real room over the next few weeks, not forever, What might that song be that would announce your arrival?
1: Oh, yeah, thank you. So I... thought about this quite a lot because you asked the question before we got together today and yeah you know i'm I'm a i'm a bristol boy insofar so far as that i've been here for now like way more than 20 years 23 24 years or something so if i didn't go for something drum and bass i think i'd probably be ostracized by my immediate community so it's got to be something drum and bass and then i was like oh what's some of my favorite drum and bass tunes and then I started thinking, well, not always by Bristol people. So, so I'm basically kind of—it's a bit of a bit of a flip of a coin between a very famous Bristol-based drummer, bass producer called Ronnie Side, uh, a song called Brown Paper Bag, or one that's not by a Bristol-based drummer, bass DJ uh, and producer, London Electricity, called Just One Second. I guess. So that I don't get ostracised by my community, it's going to have to be one size brown paper pack.
0: Lovely. Thank you so much, Duncan. And at this point, I sometimes have a go at singing it, but I have no idea what you're talking about. I have no idea about (laughs) drum and bass. I'm just nodding, like trying to keep in with you two, like I pretend I know what the hell drum and bass is. But I will try and dig that out. And just play it gently in the background, a little snippet, Duncan, but thank you very much.
2: Ross, I've got a story about that, actually. So Duncan and I, we went to an ACBS meet in London not too long ago, and I was, well, I, I had a really bad hangover. After a particularly heavy <laughs> night of drinking with fellow ACBS members, and I got a lift home to Bristol with Duncan the next day. And of course, when you're in a car, you sort of get into a conversation about, "So, what sort of music do you like?" And I'm thinking, "Well, you know, I like a bit of R&B or a bit of soul music, a little bit of Motown." And Duncan's saying, "I, I like some drum and bass." I was like, oh, "I've never heard that. Play something." And I'm listening to it, the drum and bass, with a hangover, feeling sick in his car thinking what on god's earth is this stuff that he is listening to just play me some glory again or i will survive you know just play me something that is that is going to be more soulful than this stuff but you know each of their own he gets to he gets to own his music doesn't he
0: Blimey, yes yes i can't wait to go and listen to it Now,
2: it <laughs> <laughs> was a good
1: journey
0: that's it folks part one in the bag Tune in next time for the second part of my chat with the boys, where we talk more about the Connect program. If you like this episode or the podcast, could I invite you to share it with one other person? I'm really keen to spread the behavioral science and skills with more people. Of course, a subscription, follow, rating or review are also very much appreciated. The show notes are at rossmackintosh.co.uk and this includes links to a few different platforms. I love to hear from you and you can get in touch at peoplesoup.pod at gmail.com on Twitter, we are at people soup Pod. On the Instagram, People.Soup. And on Facebook, we are at people soup Pod. Thanks as ever to Andy Glenn for his spoon magic and Alex Engelberg for his vocals. Most of all, dear listener, thanks to you for listening. Look after yourselves, peace, supers, and bye for now. How it can impact for, for children in school, how it can impact for the parents, and then for the... Sorry. How it can impact for the children's in the school. <sighs> <Wow. laughs> uh, how oh, it can impact-
1: <laughs> Shake it out. <laughs>